and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? We're here live this afternoon at the BDO New Jersey office, and I'm here with Mark Millard, who is currently Managing Director, Insurance and Risk Advisory Services Practice Leader for BDO. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here, Mark. And uh, like everyone else I seem to have on these shows, we've known each other for quite a while. We have. I think we're coming on 20, almost 20 years. Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Because we met, I think, when you were back with uh, KMC. Yep, KMC Telecom, my first job out of school. And uh, that was in 2000 to 2002, 2003. And uh, I remember as, as KMC was about to go out of business, as so many small telecoms in that day did, uh, Mike was on my speed dial for uh, helping me find a new position. Yes. Well, uh, I don't remember if we, we connected on, on that particular one. We did one. not. It was not till years later that you were actually very helpful. Yes. Well, great. You know, uh, I'm a little slow sometimes, <laughs> but uh, eventually we get it done. But uh, that's great. So you, uh, you've been in the business now about 20 years. Yep. 20 years. 20 wow. years. So that's interesting. So I just celebrated my 20-year anniversary of Key Strategies. I, I heard that, and I heard you took a nice trip to a, uh, a sunny location. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't often celebrate too many milestones, you know, in that way. But, you know, uh, it just felt like the right thing to do this year. That's great, Mike. So it was great. That's great. So, um, you know, I thought we'd get started. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing here at BDO, because this is a new venture for you. And uh, um, you could fill us in on, on what's going on here. Yeah, that sounds great. So I joined BDO in April of 2019, with the purpose of standing up their insurance risk advisory practice. And BDO um, in on a, uh, a 30,000 foot level uh, has a broad view of wanting to provide holistic risk management solutions to clients. And so um, BDO has its crisis management business continuity team led by Sean Murphy, its forensic insurance recovery team uh, led by Clark Schweers and bringing my team in to do insurance risk advisory. We're looking to consult broadly across the risk spectrum for clients to help them with everything from risk identification to treatment, prioritization, planning, all the way through recovery when something bad does happen. Interesting. So is there a, a certain type of client that would be kind of your typical client in this practice? So no, we are we are relatively industry agnostic. We have done work with clients as small as small commercial, $20 million in revenue, all the way through Fortune 100 clients. Um, so, so no, all clients are um, similar in the fact that they have risk and uh, need sometimes 
outside experts to help them think through those risks and properly come up with treatment or recovery strategy. Okay, great. Great. So a little bit later in the show, we'll talk a little bit more about some uh, types of projects that you've worked on and, and kind of how you approach it and how your clients approach things like that. I'd like to run through your background a little bit, you know, just for the benefit of our audience. Uh, so they kind of know how you got to be where you are, because, you know, 20 years in, you've uh, probably seen and done a few things along the way. And uh, so you are one of the few people I know that got their start in the business actually in corporate risk management. Mm -hmm. Very, very rare. Because usually my experience is most people start out in underwriting or brokerage right out of school. And then after a few years of that, if they want to, they, they gravitate over to the client side. But you started on the client side. So what was that like? So, so it was, I, I look back and I think for me, it was a great uh, training ground. So starting on the client side, I remember my first job as a risk analyst. Um, doing everything from collecting underwriting information, starting to understand how to think about risk, how to identify risk, reading insurance policies. So, so I always think about the start of my career as a very technical um, learning ground. And it was the technical learning ground in the first eight or you know decade of my career that then allowed me to go on and do other things in the consulting in the consulting arena by having those core building blocks of experience. It allowed me to better understand what a client's perspective was, what their concerns were, what they needed to address, and and be a better consultant to them. So at the time, though, you didn't know that consulting was going to be in your future. No, not at all. I, I think at the time I was I was really excited. There was a few things about risk management that that always excited me. I always gravitated more towards the DNO type executive risk coverages that excited me. You know, some more um, uh, complex property losses excited me. Um, and uh, I had no idea. I honestly had a career trajectory in mind of thinking growing through the risk management career path all the way up to maybe a chief risk officer role, enterprise risk role, something like that. Right, right. Okay. So you got your, uh, you got your start, KMC Telecom. So that's telecom. From telecom, you then switched over to construction, real estate development? Yeah, I did. I saw so I did uh, for a short period of time. I moved out of the telecom and I did some, again, some risk analyst work in the construction environment, all around general contractor type work. And then from there, I was recruited out of there and moved over to financial services, where I spent uh, just over four years at UBS doing insurance for their Americas operation. So that was everything from managing the workers' compensation, their general liability, property, everything from policy placement, risks, and, and claim management. Yeah. So now very different environments, though. Yes. You know, from telecom to construction and now to financial services. Yes. And did you, uh, did you find that it was very different from how they treat risk? So, yeah, the bank, the bank thought about, they all thought they were all different sized companies. And so they all had somewhat different risk strategies. But when you think of the, um, the similarities between them, the similarities between them is looking at them from a risk framework, risk identification process. The process was the same you would get to some different answers as you would work through those processes. But what I learned in the early part of my career was how to leverage past experience, although it might present differently than your current set of circumstances, but how do you leverage past experience to work for a current set of circumstances? 
and that allowed me to pivot from one industry to the next. So even back then, you were starting to develop more of a process-driven um, perspective on how you think about risk and how you manage risk. So that's interesting to me because um, that's, that's something that plays out, I think, in a lot of different environments. And it's something I actually talk a lot about when, uh, when I'm engaged to do a search. Because it's very common for my clients to say, okay, well, we're a financial services firm, so bring us people with financial services experience or construction or whatever the case may be. And, um, and what you're talking about is, is something that, um, that I totally agree with, which is that, you know, you're developing a process-based mentality to managing risk and thinking about risk. So therefore, you can cross-pollinate that, that thought process and that perspective, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think there are... By having this uh, cross-pollination, if you will, uh, to that perspective, it allows you to think about issues more broadly and to see what works well in certain places, what doesn't work well, and then to see where that might apply to different sets of circumstances. So for instance, you know, which we've talked about before is you can be a specialist, and I rely on specialists all the time. There's uh, we a place where specialists just have a depth of knowledge that is needed. But the proposition for the generalist gets to see a wider array of issues, solutions, and then thinks more broadly onto how you can apply these solutions that you might not be thinking about if you're just dealing with the same set of blocks, if you will, every day. Right. So the more broadly aspect relates to the different industry segments that yeah. you get exposed to. And what I also like is, you know, when you work with different people, both internally and externally, you get a lot of perspective that way as well. You know, one of the things that happens with people that when they work for a company like forever, you know, like almost their whole career, which is rare these days, but you do see people that have worked for a company for, you know, 20 plus years. I think the danger of that is that you've really only learned how to do something in that particular way that works in that particular company. Obviously, that's just a generalization because it could be a company that has all different businesses. Maybe they're a conglomerate or what have you. So it's, that's not really a fair statement. But since it's my podcast, I'll, I'll just go with that for a moment. <laughs> um, I really do think that uh, the advantage of getting people who've worked in different environments and different types of companies with different types of people, you know, as you just said, you, know, you, you bring out different ways of thinking about things and looking at problems. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I think there, you know, I think there's value propositions to both sets of circumstances where I have plenty of friends that have been and plenty of clients that have been at the same company for 20 odd years. And, and I think to ward off becoming stale takes some active thought. And that is whether that's through education, whether that's through networking, but how is an individual, if you're in the same place, seeing the same similar sets of circumstances on a daily basis, how are you keeping your experience fresh and your perspective fresh? And that takes a little bit of work, but I see clients do that um, well all the time. But then I think in contrast, you do see those sets of circumstances where you become very set in your ways, perspective becomes limited. You're not being challenged. You're not challenging yourself. And then your solution set for what you're bringing to that organization starts to become stale after a period of time. So then the question becomes, how do you keep yourself fresh? What are some of the things that a risk manager can do 
to really stay on the cutting edge of what's going on in the industry. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the, 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 the basic skills of reading a lot, of staying current on th these things, relying on your vendors, uh, I think, to keep you current, actively looking for those types of discussions. Looking, challenging yourself. I think the most successful risk managers that I know are the ones that challenge themselves to not accept the status quo. To just because I did this in 2014 doesn't mean it makes sense in 2020. And, and where um, the ones that are challenging themselves and looking for new solutions, new ideas, innovation, these days with how technology can enable me, those are the ones that are, are gonna be the more successful. You know, it's funny, I'm thinking to myself about how in the past, there was a whole thing about spreadsheets. And, you know, are you hands on? Are you the one who's doing the spreadsheets? Or do you have somebody else do the spreadsheets for you? And you just, you know, look at them and do the analysis kind of thing. And if, you know, if you walked into an interview today, and, and you made a statement like that, that, you know, you don't really do spreadsheets, you know, you have somebody that does that for you, you know, they're going to bounce you out of there in two seconds. Yeah, you know, so one of the greatest examples is because technology is happening so fast right now, it behooves every one of us at any level, wherever we are in the business or really any industry, frankly, uh, to stay current on what's going on from a technology standpoint, because data analytics is, is something that comes up every day now. No, you're exactly right. And, and when you look at the wealth of data that is there to be mined and understood and used for our advantages in this in this day to day management of risk. And, and to be challenging yourself on new ways and different ways to do that. And it doesn't have to be, and this is what I think about quite often in our role, do I build it? Do I find the right partner to help me with it? And so we look at that quite often, especially around technology with how quickly that changes. Quite often that I will look for partners that specialize in a, in a specific technology as opposed to going down a path of trying to start the technology or that build from scratch and building a wheel that might already be there. Right, right. I mean, technology is, is one of those things where, you know, you could spend a fortune of money trying to build it yourself and time and, and the effort that goes into it. And then you get it all done and it's all outdated. Yeah, no. And, and you're exactly right. And, and, and I think that the value proposition of partnering, though, with another party that does that is it allows you to be a bit more nimble as times change, as they do, to moving and pivoting to have the right party, the right partner that is there to help you based on what your needs are. Yep. And I think there's other examples of uh, thinking that way as well, because you know when you think about the uh, just getting back to the should you hire a generalist or should you hire a specialist to be your risk manager? There's a lot to be said for both, mm -hmm. but you know one of the ways you can handle bringing in a generalist who maybe is not an expert in your industry is by supplementing that person with other people, either consultants or other people within the company that can make up the difference in terms of the particular niche that they're working in. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and I think the value proposition for a generalist versus a specialist is, is again, is the generalist have a track record? Does the generalist have a track record of of being able to, again, leverage a skill set that will allow them to be successful in your environment. And so understanding that track record, uh, having them demonstrate in some form or fashion that they have that skill set, that set of capabilities to leverage, then I think the, the value proposition for a generalist, because they also bring a broader perspective to the table that your specialist might not have. 
but if there is something that is so special about what your industry is, you know, if you need to have an expert, it's for instance, on say New York labor law, you know, it's a, a specialized thing specific to New York and you, you're going to do construction there. Well, that, that warrants maybe a specialist, but for other things that a generalist can pick up on rather quickly, I think that's fine too. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it really, what I think what you're also saying though, is that it really is dependent on the kind of person that you, that you're talking about. You know, there are people that, uh, you know, are kind of complacent and set in their ways and they could be a specialist, but they're not creative, innovative problem solvers. There's a place for people like that in a particular industry where things are more predictable if there is such a thing anymore. If you have someone who is a generalist, but they are a creative problem solver and they have a track record of being able to demonstrate how they find the solution, collaborate with the right people to be able to be effective, even though they're not an expert, you know, then that's a whole nother story. So, okay. I think we got the point about generalist versus specialist. So when you're, uh, when you're thinking about the moves that you made in your career from an analyst level to a manager level, you know, you were exposed to different types of managers and, uh, and different opportunities to really learn and grow. Right. So for the people that are on their way up in their career, they don't have the benefit of hindsight yet. So they're still trying to figure it out. What are some of the things that you think somebody on their way up in their career could work on to help them ultimately realize their goal of becoming a director of risk management one day? So I think a lot of it comes down to communication. A lot of it comes down to feedback. And when, when we think about feedback, I think one of the things I picked up in consulting is an environment where there is active, continuous feedback. And, and so often you have in corporations, in corporate you know, America, where you have feedback is on an annual basis. It is once, and, and, and it's a shame, but you have too many managers that only give feedback then once a year. You either did a great job, you didn't do a great job, and you're just hearing about it that one time a year around bonus or payroll increase and all that time. And the value of active continuous feedback is, is two ways. From a manager level, you, you are um, able to stop bad behavior in its tracks. You're able to encourage good behavior and promote that type of behavior. It's better for teaming, better for morale. And then from a, an employee standpoint, for an employee to be able to accept and understand and reflect on constructive criticism, as they go through their year, then it is a continuous dialogue. And so when you get to the end of the year, no one is surprised about where you are, the discussion you're having, because you were having this discussion throughout the year. And, and I think ultimately what I find is you have better employee satisfaction because they understand at any given point in time where they are, what they need to be working on, what their goals are, and, and where they are on that path, on whatever their goal path is, where they are actively on that path towards that goal. Are they on path or the off path? So that's interesting. So I was thinking you were going to talk more about, you know, what the individual has to do for themselves to, to you know, get up to speed to one day have the right skills. But instead, and I like this, you, you actually went to the, the manager and what the manager can do for that person to help them get up to speed because you really need both. There's no question about it. And it's interesting for me because as a recruiter now, I get the phone calls from people who are mismanaged. I get the phone calls from people who only get the feedback once a year, you know, where they feel like their manager really isn't invested in their career. 
And it, in this day and age when we're going to have a shortage and we do have a shortage of talent in the industry, I've talked about the 400,000 open jobs by 2025. That's a number that is still consistently on track. You know, there aren't going to be enough people. So therefore, if you don't manage your people properly, you're going to be watching them walk out the door to your competitors. So this point about managing people, giving regular feedback and investing in their career is going to be extremely important if it's not already. But now if you're the employee, there's a, uh, there's a phrase I like to use called, uh, called you have to be tappable. Because a lot of people you know, that I know in the industry, they've been tapped for different opportunities. So meaning people come to them. They're not actually looking. They get tapped for the job. So I always wonder, what did they do? What kind of background do they have? What kind of examples do they have in their life that caused them to be tapped? So that's called being tappable. So what do you have to do as an employee to demonstrate that you're the kind of person that should be thought of in those situations. It, 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 there's so many things, and let, let's try and pick a handful of them, but, there, but there's so many different variables there. It can be as simple as a it, it, basic, basic skills, as a positive, willing attitude, being a yes person instead of a no person, starting from yes instead of starting from no, and the answer might be no sometimes, but you work to no, you don't work from no to yes. And so you know, when I think about tapping people, it's, it's people that have an open-mindedness to take on new problems, new challenges, people that demonstrate an ability, as we talked about earlier, to leverage past experience and uh, can demonstrate, an, demonstrate a skill set that even if they haven't done project B before, they understand how project A had five components to it that are very similar to B. They can quickly learn those components that they don't know and then figure out how to solve for B. So it is the problem solvers. It is the people that think around corners, that anticipate the problems that are coming before they ever show up. People that are more flexible in their ability and their personality and not set in their way. Well, I'm doing this because we always did it this way. You know, those are a handful of the characteristics that I, I think find people tappable. And when you think about the people that you've known in your life that you've worked with over the years and you've seen what happens with their careers, I think you could easily point to the to those particular attributes that they have in every case. And I agree with you completely. You know, when I when I think about who I tap for opportunities, you know, I think about a lot of the same things. I look for people that can turn a negative into a positive. There are people that they become the go-to people whenever you have a certain type of problem. Or even if you don't have that particular type of problem, but you know they're good at thinking it through and figuring it out and collaborating. It used to be risk managers like to be the only person in the room that understood what insurance was all about. They figured they had job security because no one else knew what they did. And maybe there's a certain logic to that, right? But if they didn't collaborate with people and they didn't help to other people to understand the value of what they did, then they were viewed as ineffective. And therefore, they could be people whose jobs could be cut. The company doesn't know the value of what you're doing. Sometimes it takes a, a problem that they have to solve, or maybe there's, there's a fire, and now that you have the insurance, so the risk manager proves their value because there was something bad that happened, but they protected the company. What I'm also thinking about, though, is if you're someone who ultimately now wants to be you know, at a senior level in an organization, you're going to have various opportunities to prove that you're up for that challenge. 
sometimes when you're when you're on your way up in your career, your manager, if they're a good manager, they're gonna give you an opportunity to present to their management, gonna give you an opportunity to sit in on key meetings and such. Are there certain tips that you've picked up along the way of how you can be more effective when you're interacting with senior management? Yeah, I, I think understanding. So whenever you're interacting with senior so I just want to take a step back for a second and just in terms of someone looking to grow to the next level, looking to grow inside an organization. And in addition to your manager, I think the importance of finding a sponsor and this concept of finding a sponsor for yourself, a mentor, a sponsor, whatever, whatever term you want to use there, but someone that understands what your goals are that are aligned with your goals, that sees value in you, and that is interested in taking that mentor-sponsorship relationship with you that is going to help navigate you. And a lot of times that will be outside of your manager. It'll be someone else in the organization. So I think it's important that in addition to your manager, what I found, um, especially in the world of consulting where you can have many managers, is that you're aligning yourself with multiple managers, that you're actively communicating with multiple managers, and then to back to the question of what you're communicating, I think the first thing you need to figure out when you're communicating is what is important to the person that you're speaking to? What are their goals? So, so, so often we're communicating from an I fashion. I think this, I think this, I think this. And I think when you're communicating to people in, the, in a senior management level to truly understand what their goals are, what their objectives are, what is important to them, and then you communicate from that standpoint and you align your communication to address their needs, their goals, the things that are important to them, you will be a more successful communicator as opposed to going in and telling them a script that you think is important. That's a great point that I also hear a lot about from people. You know, when, uh, when you're in a meeting with the CFO, for example, CFO being the financial officer of the company, they don't want to hear about, you know, maybe the details of your insurance programs and the details of your claims. They want to know the bottom line impact of what you're doing, right? How is this going to affect our balance sheet? And, you know, you would be wise as the risk manager to limit your presentation to the things that you're, in this case, the CFO cares about. And you adjust that message, just like you said, for whoever you're talking to. That is a point that I tell you gets lost on many, many people. Because when I talk to CFOs about why they want to replace a risk manager, a lot of times they feel like the risk manager is not aligning their goals and their strategies with those of the organization. They're trying to flip it and make the organization realign. And such an interesting point, and it goes back to, I think what we were talking a little bit about earlier with collaboration. And when you think of the most successful risk managers I know are the ones that are great collaborators the ones that are able to come out from their desk and, and identify the other stakeholders in the organization. So whether that's someone in HR, whether it's someone in finance, someone in operations, but you're identifying these other stakeholders in the organization that are ultimately driving the organization's success. And you're constantly collaborating with them. You're hearing the language that they speak. You're hearing what's important to them. You're hearing how they're communicating up to senior leadership. And it is a, almost a working group, a working team. And if the more you can understand and learn from how your other key stakeholders are behaving and learning from each other, I think the more successful that risk manager is going to be. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Great point. And I was going to actually, actually a good segue because I wanted to talk about the, the difference in mindset 
from a risk manager's perspective to a consultant's perspective. And some of the things that you do as a consultant and how that transfers to what you might do as a risk manager. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, so the differences, um, the, the key difference that I think the consultant can bring in is a challenge to the status quo. And, and the places that, that we're quite often engaged is when, so there's something changing about the status quo and something's no longer working. The organization's going through a change, there's been some financial impact, and, and the status quo was not sufficient. And so I think the, the difference that we typically find is, is a challenge to the status quo, looking at things from a broader perspective, so bringing broader industry experience and having a perspective of a, of a broader segment uh, that we're bringing to the client. And I think for things, for risk managers then to think about is, is around those two topics. How do, you, how do I gain a broader perspective outside of what this is, what this moment is, what this job is, what we're currently doing? How do I challenge the status quo? How do I not just accept, well, this made sense, as we talked about earlier, it made sense in 2018, but does it make sense in 2020? And, and, and challenging yourself and not being complacent. Sure. And I actually was thinking about, you know, when you're a consultant, you go into a situation, you have a client who then engages you to do some kind of an analysis, some kind of a problem solving exercise for them. So you, you gather up your data and then you go back and you, you think it through and you figure out, you know, kind of what your solution is. And then you have to present that solution. And the presenting part can be kind of tricky, I would think, because if your client, it depends who, who at the company your client is. Is it the CFO? Is it the risk manager? Is it somebody else? But if you're dealing with a large company, there's always going to be a risk manager involved in the process. So when you come in and you now want to deliver a solution, I would think you have to be very careful how you deliver your idea without throwing anyone under the bus and making anyone look bad, but also you know, be able to present your idea of how you can help. 100%, so it is all about partnership. Partnership throughout the process. And so in, from the initial meetings, the initial process of agreeing to what the scope of work is going to be, through the delivery aspect of the scope, all the way to the deliverable of that, whatever that final, whether it's a report, whatever that final deliverable is, so some type of work product. It is a partnership and a constant communication. And so quite often when, when we sit and work with risk managers, CFOs, whoever, whoever our, our client interface is going to be, it is the constant communication of this is where we are, this is what we're learning, this is where we're going. It is well understood and gaining constant feedback from them how we're aligned, how we're going to communicate. If this is getting communicated to someone in senior leadership, understanding the, understanding the nuances of the culture, of the history, and how do you massage that into that work product? Because it is a, our, our goal with our clients is to be a partner to, with them. It's no fun to have an adversarial relationship. And so that's not what we're here to do, not what I'm here to do. It's, not, it's just not enjoyable. And so when we can partner and we can collaborate and we can team and we can come to a better solution together than we could individually, 
I think that is the most rewarding for all parties. Yeah, and that I mean that makes sense. And and if I was the client, I would I would be very happy if that's if that was how you approached it with me. I get that kind of thing also because if you think about my situation, so a lot of times I get hired by the hiring manager. That's who knows me is the risk managers or the CFOs or what have you. So HR is then given my name, you know, as a typical situation. And, and so I'll get a phone call from HR that, you know, they're doing this search and all of that. But I get sometimes um, a little bit crossed up with an HR client because they think it's their job to find the person. So if they have to use me, then maybe it reflects badly on their inability to do what they think is their job. And then I also get other HR clients who are so happy to be able to engage an expert in a particular niche. And it's all a matter of their perspective. But also my job in the first example is I have to now make that person comfortable that I'm not working against them, I'm working with them, which is I think what you're saying also. You're not working against anybody. You're working with your client. I think they're what you learn, because we get asked all sorts of questions and you have to get comfortable in, a, in my role, in a risk manager's role, Mike, in your role of, I don't know everything. And it's okay to pause for a second and say, I don't know that answer. I've not done that before. I need to figure that out. The key thing is that one, you can figure that out. Whether you can do it or whether you know someone else that can do it, you can tap someone else, some other resource, that's it. But it goes back to our specialist versus generalist conversation before. And in your area, I think that where you have a generalist, and this is a very specific field, it is a very specific, unique skill set of the people that you try to recruit are, and it's okay that you need a specialist that understands that field, that has spent their last 20 years focused in this area, that knows where to find the great candidates, the right candidates, and having a generalist be okay with leveraging that knowledge in those circumstances because long long term it's going to be the most cost efficient way to go about it excellent so we're kind of getting to the end here of, of our session i think this has been really insightful and, and i think there's been a little something for everyone as i always try to do any uh any parting words for your aspiring risk managers who one day want to be the head of risk management uh, i know we talked about you know they have to work on their communication skills and their collaboration skills do you see insure tech having any kind of major impact on on how a risk manager does their job and the skills they're going to need yeah i, I mean definitely and, and it's such a it's a big question but but to try and make it simple in these last minutes um i think definitely i think it is working its way in there so i think with insure tech the most important thing is to stay in front of the knowledge to be out there in front as this continues to develop you're seeing applications clearly on the insurer side on the brokerage side it's slowly creeping its way into the corporate risk management side but very slowly and so I think um, as things develop, whether that's in your safety areas, whether that's in your um, AI, your machine learning, or those areas, being aware and conscious of what is taking place. Because if you're not there, uh, I just saw this the other day, if, if it's this quote, and I'll paraphrase, but if you're not on the forefront with it, you're going to be in the catch-up on it. And so how do you stay away from catch up and stay knowledgeable on what is happening? And then when the right tools are developed and that are applicable to you to be using them. And then just to your other point, what I have found in my career around where I want to go, my goals, there are, have been certain people that I have these mentors, these sponsors, 
that I really look to, I think their behavior, their interface with clients, their interface internally with people, where I try to replicate it, mimic it, if you will. And so finding someone or people, multiple people in your organizations, outside of your organizations that demonstrate qualities, behaviors that you ultimately want to be. You want to be treated like them. You want to be respected like them. And, and there's reasons that you feel that way about them. And there's reasons that other pe people feel that way about them. And so attach yourself to good leaders uh, is, is what I would say there and, and find out who those people are. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Attaching yourself to the right person is, is phenomenal uh, as you're developing your career. So, all right, well, uh, this has been great. I really appreciate your time and uh, we'll look forward to having you back again one day. We'll, we'll see how your practice is doing in the future, but it sounds like you're off to a great start and I really appreciate it. Thanks very great. much. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies, LLC, the U.S. Insurance and Risk Management Recruitment Specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time. Bye.